Good morning. It's good to be together. If you are new with us and you do not have one of these First John journals, we have them on the back table. They are for you. These are free. We want everyone to have one of these as we go through the series in the book of First John. Also, second service, listen, the balcony is open for you. Normally, you can't sit up there unless you, are, uh, you have a child in, in local kids. That's, that's true for first service. Second service, we got no kids up there, so y'all can sit up there, use the balcony. If you don't feel like you're adequately spaced out or you're a little uncomfortable sitting as close as you are to your neighbor, I think you're doing a good job. I can see families, people who live together, people who are close uh, are, are sitting near each other, but we want to we move forward as best we can, continuing to practice social distancing, wearing our masks when we're making transitions in this building, um, and also just know that that balcony has something like 40-plus chairs up there, so you can go up there and sit for second service. Okay, open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 John. If something threatened the most important relationship in your life, would you be casual about it? If friends were entertaining beliefs that actually could lead to their ruin... Would you sit back and say nothing? The Apostle John refuses to sit back and say nothing. Instead, what we find here is he holds up a message that he himself has received from Jesus. And the message is that God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And through this message, he wants to help his friends, help the churches to whom he's writing... He wants to help them learn how to live in the light, how to walk in the light. And that's what we're going to explore here. Beginning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. And we'll pause there. Three things I pray that we see here this morning. First, the message that will guide you. And second, the lies that will deceive you. And third, the truth that will empower you. Let's pray before we continue. Father, as we explore these truths out of 1 John, we pray that we would receive it for what it is, your word. Your word given to us. You are revealing truth about yourself. 
that you believe is important for us to grasp. So help us to grasp it. And you're revealing the way you're calling us to live because it's a good way. It's, it's all out of love. Lord, help us to believe that as we read your word that you actually have our best interests at heart, that you're for us, and that this is for us, for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. John, the Apostle John, wants the churches to whom he's writing to experience what he experienced firsthand in Jesus. And he experienced that shared life, that fellowship with God, and and that shared joy. We learned about that last Sunday. And now here in verse 5, he says, this is the message we heard from him. We heard from Jesus. And this is the message we're proclaiming now to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, light is a metaphor in Scripture for the life or salvation that God brings. And Jesus is described as light. Uh, I want to show you where. In the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John, if you would turn with me to John chapter 1 and verse 5. John writes, we're going to start in verse 4. In him was life. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay, now jump forward to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now look at John 12. John 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Okay, back to 1 John. So light is a metaphor for the life and salvation that God brings, but it's also a metaphor in Scripture that describes what God is like, his character. God is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. God is the source and center of all that is good and true. He alone has sinless perfection and moral purity. There is nothing evil, false, or deceitful about God. He is right in all of his ways, or we could say it this way. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So John is describing God's character, and character matters. As you get to know someone, whether it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whether you're looking to hire someone, character matters. We tell our kids to choose their friends wisely because we become like the people we hang out with. We begin to reflect our friend's character. So the reality that God is light will begin to guide and shape you. If you've come to faith in, in Christ, if you are a follower, if you're in fellowship, if you're sharing this life with God, then who he is begins to guide us and shape us. 
Maybe you've seen this in your own life. Maybe others have seen this in you. People look at you, man, you've changed. There's something about you that's different. Is his character something you think about? Is his character something you value? Is it something you celebrate? Is it something that causes you to stand in awe and wonder and amazement, to respond in worship? If so, it's likely you are saying no to things that you used to say yes to. And you're saying yes to things you you never thought of before. No to things that you thought were fine before. But now you have this fresh conviction in your heart. You realize, wow, okay, now these aren't just rules that are laid out for me to follow so that I can earn God's favor. This is now the reality of seeing God for who he is and, and I'm understanding a bit more of what he's calling me to and how I'm supposed to respond and live now in light of who he is. You see the difference. Think of the reactions of those in Scripture who encountered God's holiness. Okay, let's, let's think of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. We won't turn there, but Isaiah had this vision of the glory of the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple, which represents this majesty times a thousand. And he's just in awe, and he says, Oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. You realize he does not, he should not be in the presence of the holy God of all. And he cried out, Woe is me. And then if you remember Peter, when he encountered Jesus after Jesus did that miracle of multiplying the fish, and before Peter actually started to follow Jesus, he, he realized that the Holy One of all was in his boat, and he, he says, just get away from me. Just, just get away from me. And maybe that's how you felt when you think about God. You don't even know why you're here today. But you're here, and I'm glad you are. Maybe you're watching on live stream, and you're like, I don't even know why I tuned in. But you're doing it. Or about the Apostle John. When he encountered the holiness of God in the book of Revelation, he fell as if he was dead. These are all responses to encountering the holiness of God. Are you humbled by God's character? By his, his purity? Are you in awe? Is his character shedding light on things that you need to deal with? His light reveals. Thankfully, his light also purifies. So do you desire to reflect God's character more and more? Or have you moved away from the character of God? Have you drifted away from what you once embraced and what you once delighted in? If so, I'm afraid that you could be coming up with a God of your own imagination and your own making. And that's dangerous. And we are all prone to that to define God according to what we think he's like instead of being shaped by the authority of God's word. John wants us to know the character of God, the character of the one who invites us into fellowship, into that shared life experience. And like the moon that reflects the light of the sun, its light doesn't originate in itself. In other words, it's not the source of its light. In the same way, we are called to reflect the light and the character of God to a watching world. God is light. He's holy. God is light. He reveals it's who God is. The more we move away from what is true of God, the less we will see how we were meant to live. 
The more we draw near to what is true of God, to what the scriptures reveal is true of God, the more we will see how we are called to live. The message that God is light will guide you. It will shape you. Second, the lies that will deceive you. John lays out three lies, or we could call them claims or errors. We see them in verses 6, 8, and 10, and they all start off this way. If we say, if we say, and these claims are made by who? Well, initially by those who had pulled away from the church and who were denying essential truths of the faith. And many think that these false teachers were actually embracing an early form of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism emphasized the supremacy of the intellect, and they believed that matter or the physical is basically evil and the spirit is good. Now, you can imagine what that led to. It led to them denying the incarnation. It led to them denying uh, that, that Jesus actually took on uh, flesh and, and blood, like it, flesh and bones, that he, he, that he was in the flesh. They denied that. And you can also imagine what else it could lead to. It led for them uh, to moral superiority, thinking, oh, well, they, they denied sin because, well, anything done in the flesh, it doesn't matter. What matters is the spirit. All kinds of beliefs were mixed up in this. Here's the first lie that John addresses. It's in verse 6. He says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie, and we do not practice the truth. What's he saying? The lie is this. We can have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. That's the lie. We can have this relationship with God and just continue to live however we please. To say you have a relationship with God who is light and yet walk or live and practice this habitual lifestyle of living in sin and darkness, John says you're living a lie. Now, sin, it's important we define sin. Sin is breaking God's revealed will. When he speaks of darkness and living in darkness, he's saying you're living in sin. You're, you're breaking uh, God's revealed will. You're living contrary to God's very character. And so he held high God's character, and he's saying, now you need to walk in the light. If you're not walking in the light, if you're, not, if you're in fellowship with God, yet you're walking in darkness... You're living a lie. And how might that look in our, how might, how might that be played out in our lives? Well, we might give a head nod to God. Like, yep, I'm good with God. I mean, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Isn't that enough? I got my ticket into heaven. So we give this head nod to God. I go to church. I mean, hey, my parents raised me right. I go to church. But then if we go on living as functional atheists, as if God isn't there or as if God isn't holy, what does that really mean about our relationship with God? Do we live with ourselves as our own authority? Maybe we say, well, we, we do what feels right because, well, God wants me to be happy. How many times have I been in conversations with people who refuse who refuse to, to obey what Scripture plainly lays out because they're doing it in the name of God wants me to be happy. God would, why would God ever ask me to do that? He wants me to be happy. Or because, well, God is love. And I mean, that settles it. He's love, right? So I can really kind of do what I want. 
But here, this involves ignoring God and distorting God. It all, and we don't have the time to get into how it distorts uh, happiness and, and love. But all of that involves ignoring God's holiness and just distorting the character of God. And you might say, man, Darren, we're not dealing with Gnosticism here in 2020. But what are we dealing with? We're dealing with relativism. We're dealing with a lot of other isms, but we're swimming in a culture of moral and ethical relativism. In other words, that there are no absolutes. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. We're going to go living as if, that's actually, as if that actually makes sense. We're influenced by it. We are influenced by it. And we're swimming in it. Maybe you've been wrestling with what it means to live for God. This is a good place to be. This is a good place to to wrestle with that. Maybe you've moved away from God's standards. Maybe you think, man, this is just too hard to do what is right in God's eyes. And I've tried that. I've fought that fight. And it's just too hard. And you've given in. You've given up. If if you were honest with me, you might say, man, I raised that white flag of surrender uh, to that sin. I just, it was too hard. Maybe you've justified things for so long, you've convinced yourself that it's fine. So here's the question. Are you living in sin or are you struggling with sin? Are you living in it or are you struggling? Are you fighting? This is important. John says if you live, if you walk in darkness, if you live in darkness, you lie and you do not practice the truth. Now, John is just telling it like it is. not out of spite it's out of love if there was something that threatened the most important relationship in your life would you want to be told about it you can say you have fellowship you can say you're in relationship with God but are you denying it with your life now remember these claims that are laid out, these errors, these lies that are laid out are actually, they threaten your fellowship with God. They will wreck you if you continue to embrace them. So feel the weight of warning that John's laying out. This isn't just for like the people of John's day. This is for us. John answers that lie with truth. He says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, check it out, we have fellowship with one another, this shared life with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, that stain of sin that you thought was impossible to to be removed, that's the one. He cleanses us from it. That sinful nature that, that Miguel spoke about earlier. Not just individual sins, but the fact that we are born with this sinful nature that needs to be made right before a holy God. This is what John's addressing. We can be in fellowship with one another because our deep fellowship is with God. That's our common bond. And and, and through Jesus and his shed blood, we're cleansed of our sin. And so now we have fellowship with one another if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Have you ever tried to walk in darkness? I mean, actually physically walked in darkness. I'm the last one to go to bed almost every night in my house. If I'm in bed before the rest of the family, they're like freaking out. They're like, what's wrong? Are you sick? And so 
I'm, I'm always shutting off lights. And you know, right when you shut off lights in your house, it just gets really, really black. And I, I try not to, I try to make my way to the bed like almost every night. And, and inevitably, I'm bumping into walls and doors. I'm trying to be quiet for Valerie's sake. Never, it hardly ever works. Um, so that happens all the time. But walking in darkness is not easy. You end up tripping, you end up stumbling, you end up bumping into walls. And then have you ever tried to hide in darkness? Mess with somebody, scare somebody, sneak up on somebody in actual darkness. This is also something that I try to do in my family. <laughs> no joke. So Jude and Shay, they share a bedroom. They have these two twin beds. And I, uh, I have tried so many times to sneak in after saying goodnight, sneak in on hands and knees, and just kind of just creep in there in between their beds uh, without them knowing. I've done it once. I've been able to do it once, and that was... But what gives me away is that, that, that door, it, it, it squeaks, and then, and then of course, I, I end up laughing. But they always catch me. They shine their book light. If they hear the, they hear the door now, if they hear the door, it's like, Dad, Dad, don't, don't try it, Dad. Don't try it. Okay, so walking in darkness is really hard. We bump into a lot of things. Trying to hide in darkness is virtually impossible because God sees us. He knows exactly what's going on. We cannot hide from him. We're called to walk in the light. And, and John isn't the only one who talks this way. Actually, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and to other churches, but I want you to see in the book of Ephesians what he says in chapter 5. In verse 11, Paul writes this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, wake up, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's quoting a song that they sung in his day. Wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. He's talking about the light, the purifying light of God. When we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. That was lie number one, that we can actually have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. Lie number two is that we have no sin in our life. That can be found in verse 8. This is something that they were claiming, these false teachers. Maybe they were so enlightened they thought they no longer sinned, or maybe they were thinking about uh, the fact that they could maybe walk in sinless perfection. Whatever their argument, we can easily ignore or dismiss sin in our own ways. And John says, when you think you have no sin in your life, you deceive yourself. Uh, let me put it this way. You're the only one who thinks that. Everyone else in your life knows that you're a sinner. And God knows that you're a sinner. Don't try to pull that one on us. If anyone's hanging out with you for any length of time, they know. They know you're a sinner. The only one who's deceived is you. This is self-deception. The problem with self-deception is that it's so deceiving. We can go on believing lies. Like this one. Like, I got, I got nothing to confess. I'm good. I got no sin in my life. But do you coexist happily, thinking, oh, there's nothing really wrong with this habitual sin? That's, that's the question I want us to wrestle with. Do you coexist with habitual sin as if it's not that big of a deal? Have you stopped calling sin sin and started to dismiss it as something else? 
John answers that lie with truth as well. Verse 9. Now look what he says. It's powerful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, here's a passage that will lead to freedom. True freedom. Here's a passage that has led me to freedom so many times. He's saying, don't deny your sin. Admit it. Own up to it. Confess it. And here's what God will do. He will forgive and he will purify like a debt that's been lifted, like a stain that's been removed. Why would God do this? Why would he do this? Because, he goes on to say, because God is faithful and he is just. So again, he's holding up high the character of God, his faithfulness and the fact that he is just or right, or fair in all his ways. So how is his faithfulness put on display through forgiveness? Because God is being faithful to his promise. His promise. This promise that he's been shouting through the prophets for ages, that he will forgive wickedness and remember their sin no more. And he does it in Christ Jesus. He's faithful. And because God is just, and where do we see his justice? We'll never see his justice more beautifully displayed than in the, 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 the death of Jesus. Romans uh, chapter 3, I encourage you to read verses 23 on. It talks about how Jesus, how God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does he mean? Well, it means that God remains holy. His character is not compromised by welcoming sinners like you and me into relationship with himself because the sin has been dealt with. He did not just brush our sin under some divine carpet and say, no big deal. It's a big deal. It's such a big deal it required the death of his son in our place. But because of that, God remains faithful and just. Not one ounce of his character has been compromised. He's holy He's just, and he's the justifier of those who by faith look to him. Oh, wow, I can stand cleansed. This is powerful stuff. He's faithful and just, so don't try to hide it. Don't try to hide your sin. Own up to your brokenness and sin. Be determined to live that way. What if confession of sin and repentance of sin became part of uh, your very culture, the culture of your family, the culture of your home? It should be. It should be part of just who we are as followers of Jesus, that we're finding freedom and grace to confess our sin to the Lord and say, oh, here here I was again in this this pattern of sin that I'm just just so tired of. I hate it. I mean, how many times have I been there? But I found this grace and freedom and going to him and saying, oh, Lord, I just feel like so miserable. I feel like the whole world is closing in on me. But here it is. I'm I'm confessing it. And I I just spit it out. And it sounds pitiful. And it sounds just like the words aren't even making sense. But then in that moment, the weight is lifted. And like everything opens up for me. And I feel free again. I'm seeing things clearer again. Not hiding my sin. We can confess our sin, yeah, to one another and share that burden and ask for prayer, but we can go boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy. The way's been opened up for us. Lie number three is that we have never sinned. We deny sin completely. We deny the problem, and when we do that, we deny the problem of every human heart. We deny our own brokenness and rebellion before God, and we reject Jesus' very reason for dying on the cross. And we're calling God a liar, and the truth is not in us.
We saw the message that will guide us. We saw the lies that will deceive us. Finally, let's look at the truth that will empower. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, My little children, my dear children, such compassion here. He loves them. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but, for also, uh, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is this about? This is about living life, not marked by sin, but instead free from sin. And this isn't speaking about sinless perfection. Now, remember, that's a lie to be confronted. We're, we're not going to live in sinless perfection. But it is speaking of a life committed to, to guarding against and fighting sin. A lifestyle. A life committed, wholehearted devotion. What does it mean to walk? He keeps talking about walking in the light. This is about a day-by-day commitment. This is a whole life strategy. This is my life lived, walking in the light. Guarding against sin, confessing sin, fighting sin. And John actually humbly includes himself. He says, but if anyone uh, does sin, we, we we have an advocate. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. He is able to save those who draw near to God, and he always lives to make intercession for you and I. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Jesus is our advocate. It's a legal term, which, which means to come alongside. I, I don't know about you, but I like hearing this, that Jesus is my advocate. He's the one who's going to come alongside me. He is my helper, my counselor, who stands in my defense and pleads my cause. I can't plead my cause. He does it for me. He's my advocate. He is my comforter who will quiet down my anxious heart. He's my encourager who will cheer me on. He's got my back. He's my advocate. He's interceding for us. He's our advocate. Now, this is staggering. It is. When you really think about what's being being proclaimed here in 1 John, it's staggering. It, It should shake us in a good way. I mean, have you ever thought about Jesus this way? We think about the Holy Spirit as advocate, as comforter. Because Jesus said, I will send you, and it's the same word, uh, the comforter. But Jesus himself is our comforter. He's our advocate. Are you feeling fear right now? Thinking, what is God going to think about all that I've been doing? Where, how I've been living? How can I clean myself up? Are you afraid? You have an advocate. Listen, are you feeling shame? And you might wonder, oh, if, you've only, if you only knew what I've done, I've ruined my life. You have an advocate. Are you feeling embarrassment? How could I have done this again? How could I have given myself to that again? I want to hide. And you're just wondering, man, I don't want to go to a house group. I don't want to go worship. I want to hide. I want to run. You have an advocate. You have an advocate. Maybe you're feeling sorrow. I've broken your will, Lord. Again, and it's breaking your heart. I'm just so tired of this. You have an advocate. 
Or maybe you feel joy. You're thinking, thank you for your provision. Thank you for this fight. Thank you for this power that you give me, this grace that you enable me to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, that you enable me to say yes to a self-controlled and upright life in this present age as I wait for the glorious appearing of my God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. I have an advocate. He goes on to say, Jesus is the righteous one. This speaks of his character again. He's just in all his ways. This became a title that the the book of Acts, the, the church in the book of Acts would oftentimes refer to Jesus as the righteous one because his righteousness matters. He's just. He's right. He's fair. He's our advocate. And he's righteous. And then finally, verse 2, we find that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. What's that word? The NIV might say, atoning, or does say, atoning sacrifice. This is about Jesus taking upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve. This is about Jesus bearing upon himself the wrath, the just punishment from God the Father that you and I deserve. He did this. He stood in our place. God's wrath, the deserved wrath on sin was poured out on Jesus but what that means for you and I, and this feels, it's, it's hard to grasp, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. What this means for you and I is that there is no wrath left for us. No punishment left for our sin. Can you believe it? So don't think mean father, mean God the father, kind God the son. I want you to think And the Bible wants you to think and know this is the work of God the Father and God the Son together in love. This is the self-giving love of God on full display through the work of Jesus on your behalf. So you, today, have Jesus as your advocate, Jesus as your righteousness, Jesus as your propitiation. And with that in mind, with that in view, we are empowered to walk in the light. We can say no to the lies that are screaming at us every day. We can say no to the lies that are on the screen before us. We can say no to the lies about things that we've embraced uh, for years and years, but now we're learning in light of the character of God, the holiness of God, to shake off and walk in a new way of life. We can do that because we're empowered. We're empowered by God's grace. We have an advocate. We have the righteous one who stands with us and for us who has died in our place, the propitiation for our sins. Wow. And this is for everyone. It's for all nations. It's for all people groups, for the whole world. Local church, sin threatens the most important relationship of your life. It does. Do not be casual about it. Some of you are embracing lies that will wreck your life if you continue down this path. And I refuse to sit back and say nothing. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to speak a message that has been passed on to me. That God is light and in him is no darkness. And that we're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. In doing that, we can be confident that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
So let's live in the light together. Let's walk in this together, you and I, together, with Jesus as our advocate. Newness of life. Is the path opening before you? You're not alone. I would never want to walk in the light alone. I don't have to. Jesus is with me. We have an advocate. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the guidance that you've brought through 1 John, for the warnings that you present out of love, and for the empowerment that you bring. I pray, Lord, you know it's been my prayer this week, for those who have been in, in, in this habitual pattern of unrepentant sin, walking in darkness, Lord, it's been my prayer that you would give them the grace to repent, to confess that sin and find freedom, to look to your provision of a Savior in Christ, to look to your provision of, of empowerment in Christ. All of us need to remember, Lord, what you've done in Christ and find strength in that day by day. But Lord, would you in particular lift eyes to see you who have been in darkness. Help them to see the beauty of the light that you're shining on them even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Darren. Verse 9 of that text we've been reading in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is our advocate who comes alongside us as our helper and counselor pleading our cause. He is faithful and righteous to forgive sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now go, repent, and walk in the light.